still to this day, you know, like something comes up where there is, hey, this didn't go as planned, right? And there's an opportunity, why? Like learn, like, hey, what, what happened here? What could have been better? What am I missing? Where's the angle here? And each one of those times that we do that, I really find that I grow into a better version of myself. Ryan Holiday has a great book about, you know, obstacles are the way, you know, I think a lot of that comes into play there is, you know, taking the obstacle head on and learning how to challenge ourselves, even if it's been years since we accepted those things and really build up into it. Hey there, my friends, it's Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Father and Fit Mother Project podcast. Today, we're joined by guest expert Michael Sean Doty. He's the owner of Track Athletics, which is an adult strength and conditioning facility in Akron, Ohio. And Sean has worked in fitness for the last decade plus, and he has a very deep experience with himself as a collegiate athlete. He attended Ashland University, where he received his Bachelor's of Science, specializing in exercise science and his master's of education with an emphasis in sports science and applied exercise science. So this is a guy who knows a lot about the body and likes exercise and basically coaches people like we do inside of our communities here on how to have great bodies. But the reason we're bringing him on today is not just because he has a lot of good physical insight, it's because of his story. And we're going to talk a lot about overcoming adversity and creating a resilient mindset in the face of setbacks, which is relevant to all of us. Because as Shawn Michaels is going to share, while he was at Ashland University, he was a member of the track and field team where he excelled for four years. He was a six-time all-academic team member, and he trained and worked alongside very high-level people, Olympians, world medalists, but he also had some powerful setbacks that really helped shape his life trajectory. So we're going to get into all of that today. This episode is going to be about both the pre-peak performance mindset aspect, how you can really get a mind that's uh, attuned to achieve goals and also hopefully be peaceful in the process but also how to overcome adversity, how to overcome injuries, and how we can maybe see the bright light in our challenges. So, Sean Michael, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have this conversation today, brother. Yeah, I'm excited to have myself on here and, and be able to share my story and uh, hopefully help others as they're going along their journey. For sure. So, I mean, many of our journeys, unless you're an athlete like you were, which is kind of like you get good at something and you're like, wow, I can do this in high school and I like this. Wow, I can do this in college and I really like this or I, I could be great at this. You know, and then often there's a there's a period where people listening to this now are so far removed from being athletes, but many of them are trying to get back in shape, are trying to unwind old habits, and many of them have setbacks. So to frame our conversation on setbacks and the mindset of like coming back from hard, challenging things, please share your story of like one of your first major setbacks when you were an athlete. Let's start there. Yeah, so I actually had two very early on in my careers, one in high school and one in college. And the first one um, in high school, I was coming off of my junior year. I went to the state championship meet, uh, ended up taking 13th place, came back that summer, was playing pickup um, football with friends and tore my meniscus um, and sprained a few other things in there as well in my knee. Um, and I had a decision to make on how I was going to rehab what I was going to do. And we attempted originally to push it off and just go the physical therapy route. Um, and that didn't work. And so I ended up having to get late surgery um, and actually lose out on my senior year in terms of competing. I tried to pull it off for two meets um, and I actually pulled my hamstring instead at our regional track meet. 
um, and was unable to make it to States again in the second year. So kind of got my first setback before even heading into college um, and really got the opportunity to struggle with, you know, oh, was this something I was going to do? You know, I happened to be good at it at the time, um, but was that something I wanted to continue on? Where was I going to go with things? Um, so I was really faced with that challenge of like, hey, everyone wanted me the year before, you know, the University of Miami's calling, the University of Florida, like everyone's excited to see what I do. So I had a decision to make if that was something I wanted to continue on with or something I wanted to give up on. Uh, and so ultimately for me, the decision came down to, you know, I really loved what I was doing in terms of being an athlete. I loved the community of people that I was around, which I felt was super important. Some of my best friends were in the track team. And so I thought, you know, this isn't a part of me that I was ready to release. Because at some point, even the greats of all time, you know, the LeBron Jameses, the Larry Birds, the Michael Jordans, the game is over for them. Um, and you have to make that decision, move on to something else. But for me, it wasn't that time yet. So I used that. I got back, actually came to National University and I jumped so well that I ended up making the conference team for my freshman year there um, and jumping about a two and a half foot PR for me, which was pretty intense. So is this, jump. What, what jump is this? Are you a pole, pole yeah, vaulter? High jump? Pole like, what is this? Yeah. Nice. My, one of my best friends growing up with those pole vaulter too. So I know a decent amount about you guys doing your boobkas in training. He, he ran track at Stanford. Okay. I want to, I want to back up because I know there's a lot to share, but I think I want to unpiece this is one thing that I noticed in the early part of your story is that many times our injuries or at least our relationship to our bodies is so tied to our identity. So I'm imagining you in high school, you had an identity of still being an athlete and you were still supported by this community where you had friends and you got a lot of like social standing and connection there. So there are many elements there. Um, and I want to kind of come back to this as we go through your story, the idea of identity where you had an identity that was like a positive identity and it kind of spurred you forward to get the motivation to do this. And I also want to talk about how when injuries get very bad or very deep, the identity can sometimes shift into I'm disabled or I can't do this kind of like different identity. So keep on going on. So you're, you're in college now and you're jumping and you're crushing it. Yeah. So I'm in college. I'm doing amazing. I'm really loving what I'm doing. And, you know, for me that, that continued on for a little bit there. Um, and then I was coming into a jump one day, um, getting on the biggest, uh, you know, stick I'd ever been on in terms of pole vaulting and, and really was going after it in a practice at the very end. It was one of the best practices I ever had. And so I'm getting ready to take a, you know, 17 and a half foot bungee uh, and for a yeah. jump here and really start getting up into the level where you start thinking like, do I go, you know, anywhere after this? Um, and in that moment yeah. I go up, I get upside down and I look down and all I see is the box right underneath me, just this metal chiseled box and realizing I've gone completely upside down. It's 17 feet staring down back at the ground. Like I've fallen before, but I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. Um, and so I tried uh, unsuccessfully to push off one side of the mat and completely ruptured my ankle. Um, I tore all the ligaments and tendons between um, the ankle, um, which I was in denial about at the time, right? Thinking just bad sprain, bad sprain, we'll move on. Like, this is the best I've ever done. I'm super excited. It's my junior year. Like, I'm really starting to show out again. Um, and so for me, that comes to this big, you know, denial phase, honestly, of the injury. Um, in terms of where I was at, because I was so tied into this is where I want to go with my life. Like this could be a potential and just really loving the moment that I was in. Um, and so for two weeks, I walked around on an ankle with an air cast uh, around it, 
uh, thinking that it was just a bad sprain, just a bad sprain. Um, I'm going to be fine. Finally, the doc uh, convinces me, hey, let's get x-rays. Just be sure before we get aggressive on rehab. Sure enough, when we went into it, it was everything's gone. Like your your skin's holding it together right now, bud. Go get surgery. This season's over for you. Um, so that was indoor in November. And so, uh, again, another phase where I'm casted up. I've got screws put in my ankle. I'm wondering what can I do? What can I in this moment? Uh, and I'd always been fairly lean, but I thought, you know, maybe this is a time for me to lean out. Maybe this is a time for me to start really focusing on strength training because it wasn't something that I had really put a lot of time into. Um, you know, high school, you're jumping three, four days a week, you're doing workouts, sprint workouts, try to get faster. And there's not a lot of time left for putting that in. So this is in turn when I'm, you know, getting into the nitty gritty of strength conditioning as a junior in exercise science. And so all of a sudden I'm uh, excited to be like, okay, maybe I start applying some of this stuff I'm learning to my recovery, to my rehab. And so November, get the screws into my ankle um, by February, I've really come up with a plan of attack to recover, do everything. The screws are coming out on the 14th. Um, and I literally screws out on the 14th, have a plan. And uh, our conference meet is usually in April, May. Um, and that was my goal target date to recover, be able to jump a good enough to be there and do it. And ultimately I ended up, um, taking fifth place at the meet. Um, but that again, that speed of recovery and me being at, you know, the Dunning-Kruger effect, thinking I knew everything with a very little bit of knowledge I had on mm -hmm. recovery and, you know, injury rehab and long-term like health for the joints. Um, I may have rushed the process a little bit, but I took that mindset of like, this isn't the end for me. This isn't where I stop this journey. I'm going to find a way around this obstacle or through this obstacle to get back because I wanted to help my team and I knew it was important. And I knew it was something that I, again, wasn't ready to give up on at that point. And so I just really used that background, my exercise science and put something in place that was going to get me to my goal, whether that was long-term, the healthiest choice for me or not, I knew that's where I wanted to be at with it. And so that was kind of me finding ways with my mindset at the time to understand my goals, understand a process and really put something in front of myself that I was going to stick to. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things we can just pull out of that already. One is when you do have an, a physical injury setback, like there's many ways that people can take it. Like one is down the dumps, which I guess is an often initial response that people have, but you got to eventually turn into a positive mindset where you have something to look forward to or some new area where you can go into. And I think one thing you did that was very smart, and I think everyone could benefit from whether you're doing regular weight training workouts, and you have a shoulder or knee issue that keeps on creeping up is like, what can you do within the context of like what you can't do? So you could do strength training, or at least focus on something new. And that enabled your energy, that positive energy you had to be channeled into something different than your limitations. So it's not like all things need to stop. It's just, okay, this area is off limits for now. And then we can do all these other things and you could do a modification, you could do something else. So that's a good lesson. And I, the other good lesson too, is that we have these like egos that have, it's good to set like a target date, but we often don't know that you can do things on a certain date. Like there's no way to assure that your ankle or your ligaments were going to be there, but being young and fueled, you had this idea to jump at that time. And so you put a very specific date and I would maybe counsel, and I don't know if this would be your advice too, 
especially those that are older and are having a slower time healing, that's a natural process of getting older, to release any kind of time frame on things when they need to be done by a certain amount of date because that can create artificial pressure and cause you to rush things. And then re-injuring an injury, as you probably intimately know, makes things a lot worse. So please pick it up from there. Yeah, I think that's exactly on point, right? Like you've got to understand the contextuality of both sides of the coin, right? Like, yes, I got back, I hit my target date, but that led to, that was the highest I ever jumped from there on out because the next three, like, seasons so were the indoor the outdoor the indoor that i had left in my eligibility were plagued by me being only able to show up to about three meets um, because i couldn't compete i was pulling a hamstring because instead of making you know my joint capable of doing everything it needed to be doing i just mustered through and that led me to compensate throughout the body with all these other movement patterns and all these things that eventually just you know, tore me down and took me years to rehab to be able to train the way that I do now. And so I think it's important to be like, hey, yes, there's some greatness to being able to focus on the positive aspects of the mindset and to be able to still train through the process, right? To train better, to eat better. There's so many decisions to be made there to kind of move myself forward and not just be stuck at, uh, well, can't do it anymore. Might as well go eat donuts and wings every night and throw myself out of my, you know, comfort zone and just put everything back into order, right? Instead of, hey, let's mm-hmm. let's make a positive adaptation to this situation. It might not be the best, but it's the situation that I'm in. Instead of one, wishing, wanting it to be perfect, I think a lot of times we need to look at, well, what's the opportunity for learning here that I may not have taken yeah. if I only had the healthy pathway going forward? And so I think right. that's that's big. It is big. And I think that's what you described is this this just like really powerful dance between acceptance of like what is, and you can't like deny it, but you but that in that acceptance, you can also still have that positivity of looking for the opportunity in any given situation. Um, and within within like smart context of what is possible for you. So I and I want to ask you, I guess this is a pretty deep question, but like in the process of having your injury and especially the re-injuries over the subsequent years, what, how did your identity change? Like think back to when you were in high school, right? You, you saw yourself as a stud athlete, let alone in college. Now that you're getting a lot of accolades, you're track, track star, you're jumping high. And like, how did your identity change? How you viewed yourself, what you viewed as yourself? Like, let's talk about that a little bit. I think that's a big part of injuries. Yeah, I think for me, what it did is I started to question a lot of the foundations that I built my identity on, right? Uh, I had to come to confrontation with, well, if I'm not, you know, able to do this anymore, where's my confidence actually lie? Like, where are my groundings? And I think a lot of athletes and then even individuals in some respect get tied into one thing that they are so good at that it becomes like, hey, this is my grounding force. Like, this is where I hold my confidence. And I can, tell you from experience, like in terms of how I showed up for people in my life, like if I was having a great meet, people knew like they wanted to be around me. They wanted to have a good time. If I had a bad meet, I mean, they didn't want to be there. And I was, you know, doing that to a lot of people in my life that, you know, looking back on, I I wish I could have been, you know, Hey, my identity is more spread out. Like I'm a learner. I'm a grower. I'm someone who takes opportunities as they come, like someone who Mm -hmm. did that. Um, but it took the breakdown of this whole experience of, 
getting injured and facing these trials of, hey, I can't ground myself on being an athlete or even now, like on being a business owner or an entrepreneur, like I can't ground on that because those things can all be taken away from me at some point. But if I ground into, hey, I want to grow, I want to experience more life. I want to, you know, be someone who is dedicated, right? I can do those in thousands of avenues. Any door that gets shut, there can be another window for me to creep in with that identity. Whereas, you know, as an athlete, it really kind of was, and and it's a shame to say, you know, at points people didn't want to be around me because of how I was performing. And I let that dictate who I was in those moments. Yeah. I mean, so powerful. I hope people let that really sink in. And as they listen, like reflect on where are you keeping your identity currently? Is it in a particular role? as a father, mother, as someone who works in a certain way. And just understanding too, that even when I imagine just harking back to when you were five years old running around the playground, and when you're in high school, and then when you're in college, and now when you're a business owner, like you are the same you, although your perception of you is it's changed, right? You are the still aware being behind all of the progression of your experience. It's just what you identified with in those different stages, like shifted and changed. And sometimes, I mean, I would call that even almost like a mental, emotional, spiritual awakening when you have your like foundations of your psychological framework, like, you know, rattled to such an extent that it makes you ask these deep questions. And and also how, how opposite of strength is that when you have everything in one basket and that basket could change at any moment. I think the things that are most resilient have like a lot of different dimensions of, of strength. So like these, these broader identities that you've expanded into, like, man, you could do anything. Right. And like, how, how cool is that? I think it's very, it's very freeing. And that's not to say you still don't show up in those interest areas and absolutely crush it. But like, yeah, I mean, it also means that you're so much less crushable. Yeah. I think it's, it's super important, you know, as I've grown older and like changed in these ways that I found, you know, myself deeply looking into, you know, what was going to be long term, have longevity to it, something that, you know, could be part of, you know, the competitive side of me that's always existed, you know, within these realms. Um, And the person that, you know, I mean, I'm just the person that wants to go out and play a pickup basketball game and take on, you know, whoever's supposed to be not the greatest player on my team immediately and build us into something, right? Because I want to be challenged. I want to be someone who optimizes for, greatness. And I don't think you can do that outside of adversity. I think if you expect the process to be, you know, linear and super easy and very smooth, then, you know, you're just setting yourself up for failure with those things. And I didn't understand all of that until I'd hit enough adversity and enough of these setbacks to be like, oh, actually each one of these has propelled me to the next thing and to the next thing. And it's showed me some part of me that I needed to work on, to grow at, to get better at. And it continues to do that in, in so many different ways in my life, um, you know, whether that's in my marriage or whether that's in, you know, my business or it's in my own personal workouts still to this day, you know, like something comes up where there is, hey, this didn't go as planned, right? And there's an opportunity, why? Like learn, like, hey, what, what happened here? What could have been better? What am I missing? Where's the angle here? And each one of those times that we do that, I really find that I grow into a better version of myself. And um, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, Ryan Holiday has a great book about, you know, obstacles are the way, you know, I think a lot of that comes into play there is, you know, taking the obstacle head on and learning how to challenge ourselves, even if it's been years since we accepted those things and really build up into it. 
Yeah. And so beautifully said. And I think what runs through as you were sharing is like the self-reflection is the ability to extract the wisdom out of adversity. Like without any self-reflection, which is the simple as asking these questions or taking a moment to pause and say, what am I to learn from this situation? Or what can I do in spite of this? And like, and make it a more conscious process because like unconscious adversity is just suffering. It's just caught in the pit of the whatever feelings. Whereas like, this is a conscious redirecting of what happens. And I would also posit that the magnitude of the adversity that we experience is directly proportional to the magnitude of growth that we can come. It's like the valley is also proportional to the peak of the mountain on the other side. It's like you experience some pretty heavy stuff on a, on, on those episodic injuries. And like that gave you the ability to have some tremendous growth that you wouldn't have had otherwise through incremental adversity. Like being stuck on traffic on the highway is not going to change your life. You know, not nearly as much as like having, you know, this, this devastating injury. And the other thing I think that I pulled out of what you shared there is workouts are kind of our ever present way to like face adversity consciously to like, to challenge our bodies and to do something hard and push through is like a kind of a prayer towards adversity, let alone to modify things because the body's always dynamically changing. It's not always ready for what the plan was. And so it's like, it's our constant reuniting with the growth mechanism of adversity. Yeah. I, I think you said it great there. I think that exercise for me personally, and for the people that I train, you know, it's one of those things where when you come into the context of it, it gives you an opportunity that day to say yes or no to challenges right out the gate, right? Especially for people who wake up in the morning and go hit the gym, like, hey, am I going to start my day by forcing myself to do something that, you know, biologically we don't want to go do right in the morning, right? It's like a cold shower, right? Biologically, you hop in, you think you're going to die the second that cold water hits your body, but you know, in response to it, the body starts doing things like reducing inflammation, reducing, you know, the, the way that you feel something, it starts dissipating. And all of a sudden there's a change and a transformation in you. And unless you actively choose, like you said, give yourself the self-awareness to choose this situation that is going to help you become the version of yourself you want to be tomorrow, the next day, the day after, right? We've got to string these days together because there's no permanence to, these adaptations, right? If I don't continue mm-hmm. to challenge myself, same with training, I'm eventually going to revert back. And I think the same applies to your mindset. If you don't accept willingly the challenges and you start, eh, I'll have someone else handle that. I'll have someone else do this. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll skirt the the hard conversations with employees or the hard conversations, you know, with you know members or clients that are struggling in those sort of situations. Then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage to grow there. And just like your muscles will atrophy, you'll atrophy your mindset, you'll atrophy your growth as an individual. And I think that's ultimately what, you know, is going to be fulfillment for us is to be able to grow as individuals. I think we all feel it when we stagnate too long and then we don't know why it's happening. And that fulfillment's gone less and less and our happiness is dissipated. And I think that's because we probably spent too much time either in a comfort zone or in different avenues of our lives, not growing where we know we should be. All right. So that was like really well said. I particularly liked how we can kind of compare the atrophy of muscles from lack of use to, you know, the atrophy of a mindset that's not challenged by adversity. So like, I really resonated with that. And I'd love to kind of shift gears in our conversation and kind of talk about not just overcoming adversity, but what like, in your experience, a peak performance mindset looks like. So maybe we take it from the lens of high level athletics 
Like, as you mentioned to me, you've trained around a lot of world-class athletes and you obviously performed at a very high level. Many of us like look at the Olympians around the world and we have a certain amount of reverence because it's like, what does it take to be at the top? So what do you see with like Olympic level people? Is there something that's very distinguishing about their mindset, how they approach things that makes them perform at such a high level, or even like people in business that you may be encountered with that are really crushing it on a consistent basis, high performance over a longer period of time. Please talk into the mindset of that. Yeah. So I think in my experience, there's a couple of things that jump out. You know, uh, one of my old teammates is the, um, you know, gold medalist from the last Olympics for pole vaulting. Um, you know, a few of my other teammates went on to win worlds or medal at worlds. And the owner that I have here, um, at track athletics with us too, is, you know, the bronze medalist from Tokyo, you know, 2021 at that point. Um, and the commonality that really comes across in all of those is that, most of them have dedicated time to work on their mindset, right? Have dedicated time to build up this resiliency and to build in what, what I would call delayed gratification on things. I think in this world, it's so easy for us. Um, I think Dr. Benjamin Hardy says it beautifully, you know, to have clear path to lesser goals along the way. And those easy goals for us, you know, to satisfy our hunger today or our urge to be liked or things like that ultimately knock us off what we see as these big picture transformational goals. And so I think for um, most of the athletes that I've seen, they've worked on it. They've dedicated time to building a mindset that allowed them resiliency in hard times and allowed them to delay the gratification of, you know, anything that they were working towards in their life or the multiple things that we want to achieve and push towards one singular goal, like heading to the Olympics or, you know, winning the world championship or playing in the NFL, like most of them that I've seen, that's been the common theme. It's like, Hey, I had to dedicate time to this. I had to learn, I had to grow and I had to push myself into an avenue where I needed the skill set to delay the easy for the hard, mm -hmm. right? Take hard now to live an easy life later by getting to my goals versus taking the easy route now and it being harder and harder and harder and less and less likely later on. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I mean, that's such at the heart of a fitness transformation, especially in the early days where you have some addictions to certain things and like it's harder to move your body. It's not as enjoyable when you're not at a higher level of fitness and you must delay the gratification in the short term because you don't like lose the weight overnight or become fit overnight for your long-term idea of what's good. And so that's that's very natural. Now, like, is there like, but all athletes at a high enough level in college probably have some ability to delay gratification. Um, is it that the Olympians delay gratification like even more? Or is it just also a mix where the right kind of mindset or they work on the mindset is is mixed with certain amount of like just God given ability? Like, is there a distinguishing feature even deeper into the highest performers? Um, and I guess it'd probably be person to person, right? Cause not all these, it's not like every Olympian has the same kind of approach, but you speak into anything past delayed gratification that might separate like the peak performers. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I think it's uh, an innate desire, right. To achieve like in a lot of those senses too, and the ability to be one track mind on that, like to, to find like, Hey, this is a thing that mm -hmm. is going to satisfy this this desire, this burning desire that I have, and I'm going to build the skill set on top of innate genetics, everything else that you know got me to the starting line here. 
uh, I've got to build out all the skills, whether that's both in their own sport, right, but also in their mindset. And I think that's the biggest thing with Olympians is building that second layer, right? Like a lot of people can work on their body, right? That's a lot of the athletes have the God-given talent and get into this avenue of, well, I will train hard. I will work hard. But when adversity comes, when the first path didn't work, when the skill set isn't developing as quickly as you want to, I think that's when the challenges come for a lot of them that don't end up being as successful. Um, and I think that that really speaks to their driving motivation to learn, all right, not only is it the skills for my sport, but it's also the skills within my resilience, my mindset to keep going through hard times, through adversity. And, and that's something that's been a common theme um, that I've seen as it's gone through. And I think, you know, it shows out when you look at, you know, the NBA, you know, how many elite athletes, right, genetically talented athletes go in and become top 50 in the world. And now their kids are in the league, but they're role players or they didn't make it to the league. They only played in college. Yeah. And it speaks to. Well, the genetics are still there. The skill set was always provided to them. They learned all the skills, all the things. But where's the mindset? Where's the drive? Where's the motivation to take that to the ultimate level? Because you do have to make a ton of sacrifices on the way in terms of what you would normally consider a successful life for a lot of people, whether that's just you know finding a family, falling in love, doing all these other things. You've got to delay a lot of the aspects of normal experiences to get there. And I think that comes into a lot of them have to develop the mindset of, you know, I've got to get better at resiliency. I've got to get better at pushing down, not just a year down the road, because a lot of athletes can think to the next year, to the next season. Some even think to the next contract, but they can't go past that. You know, if they get to that high level, right? There's a lot of people that are, they got their first contract in the league and then they're out of the league right afterwards because they can't, go to that next step and delay gratification till the end of the road, right? When their career is over, when something else is there. Really well said. Really well said. And I think that must be the, the burning desire is a big factor. It reminds me of some of these Netflix documentaries on guys like Michael Jordan or Kobe you know, that, you know, had like a truly burning desire. And sometimes that comes with like a chip on their shoulder, like something to prove. So it's almost like they're being fueled by like almost like an egoic desire and fire. But I'm sure there's other burning desires like to be the greatest or to have a love for the game, but the desire needs to be persistent and long-term to make those sacrifices necessary to allow the collision of talent, plus that desire, plus the right timing, plus like iterating over a long period of time to like become truly excellent. And I want to ask you, like, do you believe that someone can have that degree of burning desire for something? Um, if it's not driven by some like ego roots, like, can you be that passionate if you're not like, trying to be the great, does it do, must you try to be the greatest? Is that, is that a big thing? Um, or can you have that burning desire in other avenues that are not as much tied to the ego, I guess? Yeah, I think it's totally possible. And I've, I've seen some navigate the end of their careers and go into that. And then you can see, you know, some of those people do have this skill set for it to transfer past just the ego of being the greatest, you know, basketball player, the greatest softball pitcher, the greatest, you know, athlete that they could be. Um, and they've transferred that over into their business or their life or their family. And I've seen some just completely walk away from it. I, I think you can be both passionate and, you know, a, a normal human being when it comes to like, hey, 
I still want to have goals, aspirations, a life outside of this. And I think a lot of that, again, comes to the skill set of knowing when to turn on, when to turn off, when to say yes, when to say no to things, because there's a lot of opportunities put in front of you every single day, right? Whether that's, you know, taking up a, a new class or a new venture, or a new hobby, um, or it's something as simple as, you know, responding to an email in a different way, right? That someone's reaching out to you for help on something. And I find this a lot in my business where, you know, there's an easy yes sometimes to be said, like, can you guys do online, you know, remote training? And so for my personal business, like that we could, but that doesn't serve our greater mission in the Akron area where I'm at. Like, that's not what's going to pull us forward. It's an easy path to being like, yes, we'll take you on. We'll absolutely help you. Let me, let me write up a great program for you. But that yes is not ultimately going to take us of the vision of what we want to do in the Northeast Ohio area and how we want to impact lives around us and, and donate to the community around us. And so for us, that's one of those things that, you know, it, it could be an easy yes, but I've got to learn how to say no to it. And I think you can dispassionately do that in your life and still achieve, you know, great results and great help for your family. And, you know, whether that's being the CEO of your own company or doing it, you don't have to be so passionately involved that all you want to do is increase, you know, the monetary total of your company. You can also want to do other things within that. And I think they actually um, have done this with several companies where the company started, they grew, you know, relatively large multi-million dollar companies. And then the CEOs are unfulfilled, unhappy, not where they want to be in, in their life. And then all of a sudden they add some component of, you know, gratitude, giving back right to the company where now every percentage of sales is going to this and going to that. And all of a sudden the companies actually explode, right? They don't, like stay stagnant, they grow even better and bigger and the fulfillment and the passion of, you know, the individual starts changing. And so I think it's, it's honestly the best way to do it is being dispassionate. But I think a lot of people, it starts ego. And unless you don't learn, right, the skill set, the mindset to transfer that into something else, it stays there forever. And I think you can kind of even see that in uh, a little bit in Michael Jordan's like uh, acceptance speech in the Hall of uh, Fame, you know, like he's still holding grudges, chips on his shoulder. It was almost a long winded, like, I'm going to vindicate myself in front of all you speech. Whereas, you know, in Kobe's retirement, it was much more, hey, I, I really love this game. It's great. And I'm looking forward to the next part of my life. Right. So there's two different skill sets to managing that afterwards. And I think that comes into training, you know that identity is not just Kobe, the basketball player, not just Michael Jordan, the basketball player, but as someone who wanted to learn, someone who wanted to grow, someone who wanted to, you know, impact his family, provide whatever the role is that you want to grow into. I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. Well said. And something that I pulled out of that in particular was it was an undercurrent of your discussion, particularly when you were talking about your gym, it's that at a certain point, I think when our desires go beyond just like contracting back into our person, like I want to do this for me, like I want to become a great athlete, or even I want to just, I want to personally grow, sir, grow and experience in these things. There's this, it seems true to me, and I'd love you to comment that there's a switch that often happens and it coincides with our maturity where we start to become more oriented to our identity in relation to service and service for others, creating good for others becomes a purpose in itself. It's like to spread the good, to have an impact in your local community, 
becomes an expanded sort of identity where your own personal quote unquote well-being is no longer the scorecard. It's like it's it's deriving that benefit from being of good use and doing things that don't just enrich you personally in a very limited way, but enrich those around you, which I guess ends up enriching you in a very deep way. So there's this service turn. Not everyone makes it, but it sounds like you've kind of made that with your gym and it helps guide your decisions. Um, is that something that resonates with you? Yeah, hundred percent. I think, you know, very early on, again, being an athlete, especially in a sport like track and field where it's very individual, right? It's not like a, a, it's a team sport in some sense, and you help out the team by scoring points in your event, but you are the sole, you know, person in most of the time, unless you're in a relay. And so it comes down to making that shift at a certain point of like, yeah, I'm competitive. I want to win. I want to win. I want to win to like, I want us to win. I want it to be a we situation here. I don't want to just do mm-hmm. this alone because, you know, there's there's not a lot of fulfillment in that. If at the end of the day, this is all said and done and I go through it and the only impact I had was on, you know, my time here at this, I want this to impact my, you know, my future kids, my, my relationships with my family. I want this to impact, you know, the lives around me. The people that come to my gym are some of honestly the greatest people that I've ever met and just getting to spend time with them and spending, you know, an hour this morning at 5 a.m. coaching them and just, you know, genuinely feeling the excitement and the exchange of like, wow, we're doing something together that's great. Like we're getting better, we're, we're moving our bodies, we're challenging ourselves together, but we're having a lot of fun in the process. I mean, when people leave that, they go on to be better that day and they just go yeah. on to enjoy the experience of yeah. life like in a more fulfilled way. And I think for us, like mm-hmm. that changed really as I started becoming more of, you know, not helping just athletes and thinking, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm going to take this Olympian. They're going to do great. And that's going to, you know, shine on me. Like being like, oh no, like if I do a great job for them, they're going to have a better life. They're going to treat their family better. They're going to, and now all of a sudden this is multiplying out ripples in a pond of the workout itself wasn't as important as what the impact of it is going to do for everyone in your life. You know, your oxygen mass first becomes so much more when you take care of your health for everyone around you. And it allows you to have the capacity to grow into that. And so I think, you know, that's one of the greatest transformations that I've made as I've gotten older and matured into it is like, success for me is now more defined by, can I grow this thing to something that impacts millions of lives, you know, in in the long term in our local area so that families have better relationships, have better, you know, trust, better bonds and better health and people are around longer. So there's less, you know, oh yeah, my dad didn't really take care of himself. He passed away super early. Like I don't ever want that to be something that my kids say, or my friends kids say, or even the people that I keep meeting throughout this process of, you know, finding a community of health and fitness. Dang. I mean, that was beautifully said. I, I, I think that is where I want to put the capstone on this particular conversation because just powerful. And I think health and fitness is one of those things because we are embodied in this life experience. We have bodies that naturally, when you put good inputs in, it colors positively or negatively all of your experience and then inter- inter- interacts, changes how you interact with the world. And it also like this whole we concept of people coming in and like doing things in the togetherness of it all in your studio or inside our Fit Father or Fit Mother communities, we're together. That together aspect, I believe, is completely connected to how natural law is set up. Nothing in the environment in nature is isolated. 
There's not flowers without bees. They're one kind of thing. And when it comes to humans, like we're not just like siloed, although our minds can sometimes feel this way, into our life, our goals, exactly what we're working on, our desires, our fears, limitations. No, we are colliding dynamically with all these people around us. We are co-creating. We are learning from one another. We are mirrors for one another. We're elevators for one another. It's like, I mean, the significance then when you see it that way in terms of a mindset is that this stuff is so foundational and it's so motivating to do it well. And it's so motivating to connect with it on even deeper levels beyond just the abs or the workout performance. Like those are good things for sure. But if you connect on these deeper levels, like that's the root of consistency. I believe that's the root of sticking on there. So Sean, Michael, thanks for crushing this conversation, man. I'm sure people want to connect with you in deeper ways from this. So um, if they're in the Ohio area, tell, tell us about the gym. And then if they're not, but still just want to be in your circle of influence to listen and hear from you and your team, how can they find you guys online? Yeah. So if you're in the Akron, Ohio area, you know, we're just down the road from Summit Mall area and you're more than happy to come in and swing, see us. Um, we'll give you a, you know, a trial to come in and join us and see the difference. I just had a wonderful conversation with one of our members about how transformational and powerful it's been to be in the community, how scared she was to take that first step in the door. And she thought to herself as she was pulling up, what have I gotten myself into? This is a serious place. Um, <laughs> it is serious in terms of the results, but we like to have fun throughout that process. Uh, and if you're not in the Akron area, you can follow our team at, you know, track underscore athletics um, on Instagram, uh, or you can follow me, Coach Sean Michael 421 um, Either way, we're on Instagram. We're on, uh, you know, our website, trackathletics.com. Uh, we post a ton of blogs, a ton of informational stuff. So you can find us and follow us there and, and be part of, you know, our journey as well in terms of, you know, giving us ideas or experiences that you've had and continuing to spread, you know, health and wellness uh, through our entire society, which I think is uh, somewhere we deeply need to go to become better versions of ourselves and a, a better society overall. Well said, brother. And thank you guys all for tuning into this episode of the Fit Father and Fit Mother Project podcast. I'll catch you guys in future episodes and we'll talk soon. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you. Please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission. Also, if you're interested in joining our complete Fit Mother program and becoming an official member of our community, you can visit our website, fitmotherproject.com. And on the Fit Mother site, you'll be able to see our complete Fit Mother program along with our online store with the best supplements designed for busy moms. And you'll also find a ton of free resources like recipes, workouts, meal plans, and more. God bless you and your family. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll catch you on the next episodes of the Fit Mother Project podcast.